This conversation is brought to you in part by Calavo Growers, the family of fresh. Hey there, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are around this world today. Thank you very much for hanging out with us again on Conversations. We appreciate you very, very much. Super excited about my guest today. I love what these guys are doing. I love the conversation that they're having out there with consumers. It's a thrill to have the CEO of Soli join me today. Please, everybody, give it up for my friend, Matt Ryan. Matt, welcome. Thank you. Absolutely a pleasure to have you here, man. I'm really excited about today's conversation because I love what you guys are doing. Uh, being one that pays attention to this space a lot, uh, you know, I, 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 I lean into a lot of these different companies that are out there and you're one that I always, oh, I'm going to read that. Oh, I want to make sure I check that out. That you guys are doing some really positive things out there. And I'm really excited to share with everybody what you're doing, get into some talking about some things that, that are going on in the world that we need to be talking about. And, and uh, you know, generally just go for a big uplift and inspire people about the hard work you're doing. But before I get into that, if you wouldn't mind, can you give everybody just a quick little intro of who you are? I'm not going to read your bio. It's just so campy. You read. You, you tell people who you are. It's better than me reading on a piece of paper. Absolutely. So you said the obvious part, which is that I'm the CEO of uh, Soli Organic, and I've only been there for a little over a year now. So uh, my background comes from uh, many different industries before that. Uh, I spent the last 25 years or so prior to joining Soli uh, being the uh, uh, chief marketing officer and part of that chief strategy officer at Starbucks, and prior to that, the head of brand management at the Walt Disney Company. So entertainment, coffee houses, and now indoor farming. Uh, so I've been through a few industries, and I think the common thread through all of it and really uh, what it's all about is being a consumerist, paying attention to what consumers want and paying attention to how you go about delivering that in a consistent way that, that gets you that competitive advantage in the marketplace. I was trained well at both uh, Starbucks and prior to that Disney, long history before that in the advertising business where I learned about all sorts of brands and all sorts of different industries as well too, consumer products. Uh, so I have a good handle of what's going on with consumers. And I think that ultimately uh, we in the produce business have to figure out two things. We have to figure out how to grow stuff and we have to figure out how to make things right. But at the same time, we have to figure out what people want to deliver against that. And, and to sort of find the sweet spot between those two things, that's why I'm here at Sully. Yeah, I love it. Well, look, you got a great background for produce. Fantasyland and caffeine. I think it's, <laughs> it's, absolutely, it's absolutely perfect. I mean, hold on. But I want to talk a little bit. Of, I, I want to go back a little bit. And I want to talk about Disney and Starbucks just briefly for everybody. Because I think it's I think it's really interesting. One of which is because they're both iconic brands. Let's face it. They're you know, when you think about brands in the in the United States, boom, they're right up there at the top of things that people look at, admire, criticize, do whatever you want. Yep. But, you know, bottom line, they're baller brands that are out there. So I want to share a little bit about those experiences, if you wouldn't mind. What, what do you what's the differences do you think it, there is between those two from your perspective now? Corporate well, I'm gonna, I'll start first with the similarities and then I'll come back to the differences. How's that? Sure. Um, so, you know, when, when you look at brands in the in the sort of big categories that matter to people and so on. Mm -hmm. um, they're about much more than just the product themselves. They're about the reputation of the company that sits behind the product at the same time. So in both yeah. Starbucks and uh, Disney's case, it very much was about what is the product? What is that movie? What is the guarantee of what a movie is like or a theme park vacation or a television show? What are you always going to get there? So really the product level stuff. And the same with Starbucks. What's it like to walk into a store? What's the coffee taste like? And so on and so forth. But when stuff starts to matter in people's lives that much, 
when it's an everyday purchase or a purchase that really matters, like a theme park vacation or like a cup of coffee that you're having day in, day out, you start caring about the company that's behind the uh, the uh, product as well, too. Right. We're a long way off from that at Soli, but um, at the end of the day, we have to keep our eyes on that as well, too, because what you are in terms of the product is where it all starts. That is That is the thing that matters first and foremost to the consumer. And once they start caring about that, they start caring about what goes on sort of in the background, what the company's values are, what the company is trying to do, its place in the world. Yeah. And we have to pay attention to both things at Soli. We have to first and foremost get that product right. And I know you're going to ask me some questions about that in a while. Uh, we're focused on that as our number one job. But at the same time, how we do it and what we're doing matters immensely, especially in a business like agriculture. Um, Think about it. Produce is something that people touch day in, day out, not unlike the coffee category, I might add. Right. Uh, and and the the sort of the what matters uh, in agriculture, what matters in how you grow things is enormous. And we have an opportunity to really redefine what agriculture is all about in the CEA business and specifically with Soli as well, too. I love it. Differences. Differences. Well, you know, the entertainment business is a lot different from the produce business. Um, the, the Oh, the is it of... really? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some of the same characters in both, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, humans are humans. But at the end of the day, what people want in the, in, the, uh, in, in the entertainment space is a lot of stuff that is very sort of intangible and, um, and, and sort of uh, story driven and so on. When you're buying something in the produce space, you're really, you know, caring enormously about the, the 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 product that you're actually putting into your stomach. So you're in a different way of building brands and in a different way of doing business. There, uh, retail is very different as well too. And you have the direct relationship with the consumer at Starbucks. So sure. you know, you have all of that sort of. You know, one of the things I did while I was at Starbucks was help build the uh, loyalty program and the app. If you use the app, I had something to do with that. Uh, you know, it's roughly half of Starbucks businesses right now is conducted directly over a uh, digital platform mm -hmm. and we don't have that luxury at solely um and you know disney didn't even have that luxury when things would go through movie theaters or through walmart and other stores as well the the sort of ability to have a direct relationship with the consumer is really critical to brand building and really critical to business as well too and certainly that was part of the starbucks great growth story you know here at solely we are you know like everybody else in the produce business, going through third parties to sell directly to the consumer because nobody's going to have a direct relationship with the lettuce company. Not yet. Anymore. Yeah, not yet. No, agreed. Agreed. It's fascinating. You know, and I think it's so important to bring that up because I think it, it, it speaks volumes for the mindset of what you're moving forward. What do you think, you know, and I just got to throw this one to you really quick and I'm going to move on. We'll get it deeper into Soli at this point. But what do you think, you know, when you look at the CEA space or you look at any, you know, it doesn't really matter, CEA, any business, you know, these young startups that are out there today. What do you think the biggest mistakes that a young brand are making out there today? Overpromise, underdeliver, things along those lines? Or Yeah, I think there's a, there's a tendency to pay attention to what uh, the sort of chattering classes say instead of singularly focusing on your customers. So if I listen, I, I love my investors and I love people who are the sort of journalists in the CEA space and so on and so forth. But the people I'm going to pay the most attention to are end consumers and the customers who have the relationship with those consumers, because that's where you do business. And that is how you get your product right. And if we just listen to people talking about our other CEA companies, we'd miss the boat because still at this day and age, the vast majority of produce that people consume 
isn't produced by the CEA players in the world. It's produced by you know, field growers. And yeah. we have to pay attention to what's going on there, first and foremost. And we have to pay attention to what the consumer and the customer wants. I love that. That's a great answer. Thank you for sharing that. Some great, that's some great advice out there for, for, for folks to, to uh, lean into and ponder and think about and look back at themselves going, huh, how, does that, how do those words apply to what I think I'm doing today? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I think it's a great moment to pause. Well, let's keep get into your it. Eye on the, go keep ahead. your eye on the relationship between every act you do and what, how it's going to show up in the consumer's hands. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I've said it all my career. I, look, this is a relationship driven business. If you're not good at, if you're not good at it, you're, you're going to have a hard time getting transactional in this business is very tough. It's very mm-hmm. challenging because you're dealing with mother nature. You're dealing with, you know, reality right. of you've got 24 hours, 48 hours. You don't have 48 days. You know, it, this is a whole different world. And, and I, I appreciate you saying that. It's so important for people to remember to value that. Uh, it's just key. So let's get into Soli a little bit. I want to get on. Thank you for the, for the, for a little bit of the, that, that intro and bringing it up to speed a little bit. Because I just think, again, that perspective is fantastic. So let's talk a little about Soli. Give everybody a little bit of an idea of who Soli is today. They used, to, they still are some way, but they used to be Shenandoah Grows, been around a while. Um, but if you wouldn't mind, just touch on that a little bit. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Nelia Alamo at Calavo. Thanks for listening to Todd Versations. At Calavo, we are the family of fresh. For almost 100 years, our passion has been bringing delicious and nutritious food to your table. From tasty, wholesome produce to our freshly prepared foods, Calavo is a global leader in the finest quality produce and a pioneer of healthy, fresh-cut fruits, vegetables, and prepared foods. Whether it's our farm-fresh avocados, tomatoes, Hawaiian papayas, or chef-inspired solutions including fresh-cut fruits, veggies, guacamole, and much more, Calavo takes pride in delivering our fabulously fresh products every day. It's our promise from our foodie family to yours. Check us out at Calavo.com and learn why we are excited about your fresh possibilities ahead. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about my journey in coming to Soli because I think that's a, uh, an important way that I discovered the company. So yeah. when I was um, you know, looking for my, my next gig, I had the opportunity to look around in a number of different places. And uh, you know, I, I wanted to be someplace that mattered. And I wanted to be someplace where I could make a difference, of course. And I got to go through a due diligence process on Soli. So I got to peek beneath the covers and really see what was going on there. And a couple of things stood out. Now, I'd heard about the CEA space before, and I was always worried because I didn't know how companies were going to make commercial success. And there are a couple of things that were going on there. One is like I looked at the cost of the product and oftentimes what people were producing was way above what the sort of norms in the category were. And in just about any business out there, you can always sell a small amount of super premium to somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And that's a great way of starting oftentimes. But to really nail big brand opportunity, you do it by an accessible price point. And even Starbucks, criticized as they are for a high price, is really not all that high a price. If you go in and buy a cup of coffee at McDonald's these days, it's not that much less than it is at Starbucks. Hmm. What you can, what the secret sauce is in just about any business is how do you deliver a premium quality product at a mass market price point? And what I saw in Soli and what I saw in the technology that Soli had was the ability to do exactly that. 
Granted, it was not at small, it was at small scale. It was in the CEA pilots that uh, the company was operating before I got there under the name Shenandoah Growers, of course. Um, but what ended up happening was uh, I saw the ability for this company to grow organic quality produce for less than the cost of what field growers grow the regular stuff. And when you see that kind of ability to grow that kind of quality at a cost and the price point that makes absolute sense, you can see an unlock there. And you don't, you don't have to be a genius to know what's going on in the world these days. You can see all of the problems that are out there with uh, you know, field growing and water shortages and rising input costs that they're facing. And you also can see the, 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 the sort of shorty supply issues. Uh, in general, it's a tough business agriculture. And yeah. something like growing lettuce growing greens, growing herbs, really volatile because of the sort of fragility of those crops and the fact that they're highly dependent upon growing in parts of the world that are very, very environmentally challenged, Arizona, California. So if you can come up with the solution in those businesses and a lot of other produce verticals as, as well, sort of the traditional truck farming areas, there's an opportunity to start making product that is better and lower price point and that ultimately helps feed the world and solve the problems. I saw that at Soli. I saw the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. And I saw that the biggest opportunity that Soli had was figuring out how to scale the business. So small little pilot, how do you take that to a much larger level? And uh, if there's anything that I learned about Starbucks and Disney is being big is critical to winning. And uh, part, of our, part of our mission is to scale these very, very important things that we have discovered into mass production facilities. I love it. That's that's awesome. Well, you, you know, you hit you hit the nail on the head. You know, the, the CEA space it's it's a six it's a six ninety nine clamshell in the two ninety nine clamshell world, and it's a real real struggle. Um, but I, I look at the the CEA space as really an investment in what I call a positive cost of food. How are we going to overcome water issues? Right. What what comes of what comes of some of these companies that will fail at this space, right? But what have we learned from that? What patents do they have? You know, what are we learning five years from now that we're figuring out today someplace in a greenhouse? You know, and I think it's so important that as the world changes and as we get more population, you know, what nine nine point eight billion come by twenty fifty plus the aliens. I always say they're coming too. Yeah. You know, so what? So you know, how are we going to do it? You know, you look at California's water situation. Um, you know, which is just tragic in itself, right? I mean. You know, there's $27 billion in bond, bond measures in California to do water infrastructure. They haven't even bought a shovel yet at Home Depot to even start on. I mean, it's nuts, right? Mm -hmm. So we're facing these problems head on. And I think what you're talking about, about how do you find uh, the path to consumer, not only consumer acceptance, but also price point acceptance, retail acceptance, being able to be out there in that competitive nature. It's, it's a powerful tool. I could see why I could see why you leaned into Soli. Those are great. I mean, those are the exact benchmarks I would be looking at you know, with that opportunity. That's fantastic, man. That's really cool. That's really uh, cool. Yeah. So, so, so for me, you know, I've always been a aficionado of high quality produce and, you know, here, you know, living in California most of my life, uh, having access to it, frankly, uh, yeah. seeing that access threatened now. Uh, I, I saw the amazing ability of a company to figure out how to grow organically indoors. And I think, you know, organic is part of it, but it's quality in general. But it is that price point because when you start looking at that clamshell issue, that you know the six ninety nine versus the two ninety nine or whatever, pick pick your numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, 
Um, and, you know, we have a mantra at Soli, which is we are going to deliver at that mass market price point. So the way that we think about our economics and the way that we think about our growing and the way we think about R&D is how do we get to that number? And that involves being sort of maniacally focused on costs and on growing efficacy, on being really an innovator in everything we do. And frankly, if you look at Soli versus a lot of what goes on in the rest of CEA, we grow very, very differently. We grow in soil. Oh, yeah. So we are growing in soil. We are, as a result of growing in soil, seeing all sorts of unlocks you don't see in a lot of other CEA growing. And I think there are real lessons to learn. I'm happy to share what they are. Number one is that when you grow plants hydroponically, you have a number of different issues. One is that you are constantly circulating water to the plant. So any good farmer knows the ability to stress a plant by not overwatering allows the plant to focus its energy into the more productive parts of the plant, the leaves, the leaves, the the the, the fruits when there are fruits and so on, and less right. into the root balls. So you don't you don't see as much sort of of the input going into non-saleable, non-usable parts of the plant, and that gives us a huge structural advantage from the beginning. The other thing that happens when you grow in soil, and we are, you know, working on the the, the process of re recycling and reusing all of our soil. We're not quite there, but we will be. Uh, versus growing in rock wool, which a lot of the CEA competitors do, you have that enormous cost because you can't recycle, you can't reuse all of that. Right. We also believe that our energy costs are lower because the amount of water you have to circulate, especially if you're sending water up, you know, three stories into the air, that's that's an expensive energy intensive process. The less water that you have to sort of send through the system, the better. By the way, the less water you have to use, the better in general, too. 100%. Uh, and uh, we have the advantage through our technology of also being able to manufacture our own organic fertilizer on site in every one of our facilities. So we're not buying fertilizer, which this year turns out to be a real benefit for us. Yeah, that's that's because a big that's a big win. Yeah, totally. no doubt. <laughs> and uh, you know what what basically we're doing is, you know, with our technology, we're allowing bacteria to do the work where they take, you know, organic matter and convert it into usable nitrogen for plants. And yep. that is happening in a very inexpensive uh, way that, by the way, does not produce the carbon that the Haber-Bosch method does when you produce artificial fertilizers. It's a win-win, and it actually contributes to our cost structure as well, too. So by focusing on that and then being really, really smart about all the learnings we've had over the years and many, many years of working at CEA. We started CEA 14 years ago, back when nobody had heard of us. Right. And, and just learning quietly under the radar without a lot of people paying attention, without investors breathing down our necks, because we we're basically taking, you know, money from our, uh, you know, existing legacy business and plowing it back into CEA. Nobody, nobody was holding us to go public with anything right away. We had a lot of failures. We had a lot of, uh, a lot of learnings. And we gradually got to the point where we were able to see by the year 2019, these superior unit economic costs that are much less than growing in the field. And that has to do with just being sort of scientifically focused on continuous improvement and keeping up with all of the different input costs and looking at them holistically. And we have a mission to continue to drive down costs crop after crop, taking what we've done in herbs, applying it now to leafy greens, where we're seeing some big successes coming along and hoping to commercialize some of that later this year, big new facilities. We're very excited about the opportunity to drive costs down.
And that doesn't mean you're going to drive quality down. And I think that's our biggest challenge in many ways because we actually are breaking the organic paradigm because it is cheaper indoors in CEA to grow organically than it is to grow inorganically or conventionally. And that boggles people's minds because nobody's nobody's doing that math. I'm telling you, nobody's doing that math. (laughs) It's not. No, look, you guys, I mean, you guys literally are a unicorn out there. There's, there's the truth. I mean, the, what you're saying, what you're, you know, the conversation you're having is not happening in, I don't think anywhere or any other place, or maybe if it is, I haven't heard it or it's one or two, whatever the case may be, but it's an incredibly powerful statement that, um, that, that you've made and this position that you guys have taken, you know, with your bio farms, as you call it, which I think is such a cool name, um, you know, it, 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 and it's not hydroponic. You kind of touch on that and your systems indoors and you're running your water and you're doing your thing. And, and, you know, to be able to sit and talk about costs and to say, look, we want to be, we want that to be a factor. We want to put more organic produce into people's hands to be a brother. You're preaching to the choir here with that comment, right? I'm all about that. And I agree wholeheartedly. I want to talk a little bit and not to go off track, but I want to kind of get down to, to, to the organic thing a little bit before I do, I think it'd be good for everybody to kind of know the things that you grow for those that aren't familiar with solely, you know, what all, I mean, you've got herbs and what else do you guys have? Just give people a little bit of that if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So, so our traditional business, we started as a uh, herb provider way back when we actually grew conventional as well as, mm-hmm. uh, as organic. We focused on the organic uh, and really just phased out the uh, conventional. Uh, we are the market leader in herbs in the United States right now. We sell to almost all of the top retailers, you know, the Walmarts and the Targets and the Wegmans and the Whole Foods of the world. Uh, and um, we are the guys who provide those clamshells that herbs come in. <laughs> we also provide the pots of herbs that you see in the stores, the, the sort of living organic herbs, we call them. Right. And that is the core business and has been the core business for a long time. The potted herbs we grow using CEA technology. The other stuff is largely, but not exclusively, a traditional business where field growers, uh, either ones we operate ourselves or uh, uh, acquire from third parties, uh, we actually package and sell those. So we're in a packing and distribution business for herbs. So that's the traditional business. More recently, we've begun to grow our own uh, leafy greens as well, too, selling to the likes of Walmart and Wegmans uh, in the Middle Atlantic region. And that has been a business that we are now about to expand because we are expanding our capacity to grow leafy greens. So we are in the herbs business. We're using field grown, now increasingly growing indoors as we expand the capacity and now growing leafy greens as well, too. And then we have an R&D pipeline to enter other categories that I'm not at liberty to talk about yet, but trust me, they're coming. <laughs> well, yeah, well, look, yeah, I guarantee, I don't even know what they are, but I guarantee you they're coming. I, there's no doubt. That, there's no, I, I had that figured out about 15 minutes ago when you were talking like, oh, yeah, there's more coming for these guys. Wait for it. Yeah, there's no doubt. So let's talk a little bit about your facilities. And, and you know, again, I, I think it's really important that people recognize you're in a ton of locations. You know, you're going with like 20,000 retail locations. I mean, you are out about everywhere. Um, so how many farms do you now have across the country? That are producing, yeah. So we have uh, we have to talk about farms in different tiers, by the way. Yeah, uh, we have a number of what I'll call hybrid CEA facilities, which are a combination of greenhouse and indoor, and mm-hmm. uh, uses this fertilizing technology that I've talked about. And they largely grow our uh, living organic herbs, the potted herbs you see. And we have about right. seven of those facilities nationwide. Uh, located across the nation, give us mostly national coverage. We got, got a couple holes in our geography in California and the Northeast, but largely we're a national uh, company with those. In addition, 
Uh, we have the pilot facility that proved out the multi-level CEA in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So that is a, call it a 15 to 20,000 square foot facility. And that's really where we learned how to do the end-to-end indoor full-on CEA growing with great unit economics, which we have recently scaled into a much larger facility. It's about 50,000 square feet just outside of Washington, D.C. So still concentrated in the middle Atlantic there. And mm-hmm. that is in the process of being stood up. So when you start to see these solely branded Uh, herbs uh, that are coming out in clamshells. They are being grown ourselves uh, in uh, the Elkwood facility. We, this fall, will be opening up another large mega facility. It's about 100, 110,000 square feet in Anderson, South Carolina, about an hour outside of Atlanta. And that's the first of what we're calling the mega facilities, where we are going to be growing a, you know, much, much larger range of products, leafy greens and herbs both, Uh, And that is becoming the sort of model that we will use to uh, sort of build other facilities. We announced uh, uh, under construction another facility just outside of Seattle right now. And stay Mm -hmm. tuned. Uh, Next month, there's going to be an announcement for another location, another region. And then we are in site search in two other regions on top of that right now. So uh, we have a a full pipeline of large-scale facilities coming and ultimately uh, we believe that, you know, to sort of replace our current business and expand into uh, leafy greens, when I say replace, meaning sort of phase down a lot of the um, the reliance we have on outdoor right now, we think we can have a national footprint in place with seven facilities, eight facilities of these very large scale moving forward. Wow. Super exciting. Look at you. Look at you guys go. You're not sitting around. You're not sitting no, around. We, we got work to do. <laughs> well, I, I want to talk about something that, that, um, I want to talk about the organic part of your business because I think it's really, really important. You know, um, being one that's been in this industry a very, very long time, I have a, a unique perspective, a lot different than a lot of folks because there was no industry way. You know, was if you want to call it that, right? you can't call it an industry back then. It was really nothing. Um, it was, it was definitely, definitely not what you're seeing today. But one of the things that fascinates me about your your position, and there's very few of you out there that are doing this, that you're leaning into being organically grown. You're, you know, you believe in it. It's important to your business. Yes. And I'm going to ask that question in a second. You know, but in some instances, in the, like, you know, you have a lot of really positive attributes, right? You don't have to work this hard to be organic. You know, you could take the easy road and not be organic and just, you know, go with, hey, we save less water, close to home, all these other attributes that consumers resonate. But you didn't. You went a step further and totally committed to the program, which I commend you a thousand percent and appreciate it. And thank you for doing it. But tell me a little bit as we dive a little bit deeper into this topic, why is being organically grown so important to you guys? Well, first of all, it's almost a philosophical belief because organic is better. Um, and uh, it's not just philosophical. There's some real fact behind it as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the truth of the matter is that organic is a guarantee to the consumer. And consumers recognize that as well, too. And we'll c- come to that in a moment. But, you know, organic signifies better taste. And organic food just tastes better. And in part, it tastes better because it is grown with natural things the way that plants were made to be grown. And people can, in fact, taste the difference. Now, it's really hard to argue like like on quantitative metrics about taste there. We're working on that right now so that we can start to develop that because we think that there's a biochemical basis for that superiority. We've got to prove it out. And that's inherent on a lot of the organic folks out there to do a better job at sort of proving the taste superiority of that. In addition, there's nutrition superiority as well, too. Plants grown organically have better nutritional profiles, and that's really, really helpful. 
Beyond that, a couple things really matter. Of course, uh, nutrition, uh, organic means no pesticides. And, and yes, you can go out and simply claim no pesticides, but that's kind of skirting some of the big issues out there. Yeah. One of the things that I think that the world needs to pay a lot more attention to right now is fertilizer. You know, when you look at sort of what's happening with the way that inorganic synthetic fertilizers are produced, um, it's pretty horrific. Uh, it's mm -hmm. horrific in terms of the environmental impact. And there's an increasing amount of sort of knowledge that in fact it affects the physiology of plants as well too. So having organic inputs from a fertilizer perspective helps plants grow better. So all of that really, really matters. And it matters at the end of the day because it matters to the consumer. No other claim out there, none of the other post-organic stuff that you start seeing come along means anything to the consumer. Right. What really means to the consumer, the number one label out there in produce, and frankly, in a lot of other food categories is organic because it signifies so many different things all at once. And then I think what's important about organic as well too, is that um, it is in many ways a philosophy of caring for the earth because things that are grown organically, things that are uh, sort of grown with the care and the difficulty that it takes to grow organically are actually helping the planet. Of course, there's a, a criticism out there that organic requires more land and that there's more waste associated with organic and therefore higher price and less affordability and can you feed the world? And that may be true of the outdoor organic industry in certain ways. It is not true of growing indoors organically because we avoid all that waste, we avoid all that land use, and we can in fact deliver all the superior things about organic, not using pesticides, not using right. fertilizers, without those downsides that traditionally exist in the organic world or yeah, the critiques of the organic industry. And to top it all off, it's at a mass price point, which is yeah. very, very different because the really big criticism of organic is it's a one percenter. Uh, uh, it's a one percenter food. And we don't want it to be like that. No, we want it well, to be for everybody. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Nelia Alamo at Calavo. Thanks for listening to Todd Versations. At Calavo, we are the family of fresh. For almost 100 years, our passion has been bringing delicious and nutritious food to your table. From tasty, wholesome produce to our freshly prepared foods, Calavo is a global leader in the finest quality produce and a pioneer of healthy, fresh-cut fruits, vegetables, and prepared foods. Whether it's our farm-fresh avocados, tomatoes, Hawaiian papayas, or chef-inspired solutions, including fresh-cut fruits, veggies, guacamole, and much more, Calavo takes pride in delivering our fabulously fresh products every day. It's our promise from our foodie family to yours. Check us out at calavo.com and learn why we are excited about your fresh possibilities ahead. absolutely the same can feed the world and i think you guys are epitomizing that with what you're trying to accomplish and the conversations that you're putting out in front of people because you know your your conversation isn't you know i, I would not say that you guys are taking any layups i would say you guys are deep past the three-point line firing non-stop like steph curry and you're making them. 
which is what thank super you for recognizing that because there may be times when we miss and we're going to need the forbearance of people to understand that we're trying really hard to do something extraordinary here <laughs> yeah you know what though i gotta be honest with you brother i'd rather have you miss a three-pointer than miss a layup right because that's you're just telling me if you're missing layups you're doing nothing all but easy stuff you're taking three-pointers that's a big deal i would do want to talk a little bit and if you don't mind because it's really a, a subject that that i think we both kind of agree upon it, and it's something I'm passionate about. You know, there is a big debate about organics inside and the crust of the earth and, you know, what is organic, is it not organic, this whole nine yards. And, and I've been at the forefront of this conversation. My position has never changed in the five, eight years I've had this position publicly. You know, dirt has a place. It's going to continue to be here. Yes, you can get into carbon, you can get all these things you want to talk about. But we also have to change, right? That's from the going from the payphone to the cell phone, right? Going from the draft horse to the tractor. I mean, it's all a part of that system. Um, and the bottom line issue is, is that so much energy is going into this argument about dirt, dirt, dirt. And if we put as much energy into how we're going to feed people coming and the better food as these generations improve and how we're going to help our kids learn better because we give them better education through food and food promotes better education, all these different topics. It's, it's, it's sometimes incredibly frustrating that we're so short-sighted that, you know, the food doesn't matter, right? And we're caught up in that. And it's so dangerous, right? Because the alternative is not what we're seeking if we really truly believe in the morals and values of the organic industry. So how are you guys, have you dealt with that? Have you had any criticism about that at all? Some of the challenges that maybe this is thrown at you? Or is it just something that you guys are just blowing by and don't give a rip about? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're focused on the outcome because if we stay focused yeah. on on not doing the bad things that agriculture does and bad things are things like pesticides, are things like inorganic for, uh, fertilizers, um, those are the things that really matter. Now, I will tell you the biggest criticism of the CEA business in general, and we're included with that, is the fact that we have to use electricity to grow indoors. And that is, in fact, an issue. Um, mm -hmm. What I am very optimistic about is that as the grid becomes green, and there's been some good news on that lately in terms of the investments that are going to take place to make that happen, that is the Achilles heel of the CEA business. Yeah. From a water point of view, from a land use point of view, from a uh, food miles point of view, from many other uh, perspectives, CEA is good for the environment. The bad downside is the amount of electricity that it uses. Mm -hmm. However, if the grid can be greened, we can then start doing things to become actually carbon positive because we can actually take the waste streams from other carbon dioxide producing industries, think breweries and distilleries and so on, and release them into our, uh, our, our CEA facilities. And right. the plants, the basil, the lettuce, that sequesters carbon. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, uh, there's a real net positive that can take place there. Now, it's complicated and we're not there yet. Honestly, we're not there yet. And we're going to be transparent about when we do get there as well. Sure. Too. But that is probably the biggest downside of CEA. Otherwise, everything is a massive improvement over traditional agriculture. Yeah, you're right. Electricity is always going to be the hurdle right now. It is. But again, to go back to what I said earlier, what are you learning that's going to change the future? What are you doing today that five years from now we can't even conceive of? And that's the part that excites me. Yes, it is. It is an issue. But on the flip side, you're not driving tractors. You know, you're, you're, you're not you know, there's a lot of things that you're not doing. You're still running electric pumps everywhere to, to flood irrigation water outside anyway. So, I mean, you know, where where again, what question is being asked to get the answer that somebody wants to hear? That's the hundred. You know, that's to me is kind of a, the interesting part of this. Like, you know, and you're good. Right. You're going to get there. And I think it's just a matter of time and not that much time, quite frankly. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the one, and the one thing, we're heavily investing in R&D and technology and so on to figure out how to do things better. Because one of the major foci that we have in our uh, R&D space is how do we become even more resource efficient? So yeah, yes, we pay attention to unit economics. Yes, we pay attention to quality. But the third leg of the stool is the sustainability and resource efficiency of everything that we grow. And when you're growing outdoors, the progress that you make there is really difficult to come by. When you're growing in a controlled environment, the whole idea of CEA in the first place, you can actually do things in a much more deliberate way because you are actually controlling what happens. And that is how you get better. Yeah, I love it. I think it's great. I mean, and you look at the benefits of what you're doing versus others and you go back and I love the transparency of that. You know, I think that's so important because again, you know, if somebody wants to throw a stone, they can dive on that. And I think you've addressed it very eloquently here today saying, yeah, it is a factor, but it's not a factor forever. And we're making those improvements. And R&D is a big part of understanding that. It's a powerful statement, man. Really yeah, well said. Should, yeah. Should we be stopping electric cars because the grid, grid is not yet uh, clean from an electricity point of view? No. But you know, we know that gas powered is not good. And we know that electric can be good down the road and it's going to get better. There are countries, Denmark comes to mind, that are 100% carbon neutral on their electric grid right now, I believe. So when you start looking at that possibility, then we can go down that road ourselves. And all of a sudden, the big problem of CEA, which is electric consumption, no longer is the issue that it was from a, from a greenhouse gas point of view. And then all of the other benefits start conferring. Yeah, 100%. I love it. Well said. I want to talk a little bit, and you brought it up, and it kind of leans me into where I want to go next. Talk a little bit about this economy that we're dealing with right now, but also because one of the big things I'm worried about with the, with the downturn that we're facing in this economy right now is that what ends up happening is fruit and vegetable consumption has a tendency to decrease, yeah. right? It's what history says, right? So we have to go back to history and go, well, that's what happens. It might happen again, right? So how are we preparing for that? So I kind of throw out a, a broad question to you and let you just run with it. because uh, So the first thing is, like, what concerns you, you know, a little bit about... Um, the economy today, and specifically how it relates to fruit and vegetable consumption and whether that decreases, or if you wouldn't mind kind of leaning into that a little bit. Yeah, well, we flat out confirm that there is absolutely a decline in food, fruit and vegetable consumption happening right now. Yeah. This is real. Um, and what we are seeing is essentially the shelf price of uh, fruits and vegetables is um, doubling what the uh, increase in price has been that people in the produce business have passed on to retailers. So retailers are keeping their margin and driving up the price so high that it's causing elasticity in demand. That's not good for the American public or you know, it's not good for people in general, because guess what? They're going to eat more low, you know, low quality, cheaper food instead of right. higher quality produce. Um, it's a problem. And I frankly don't know what to do about the macro trend there. The only thing I know how to do is to keep our prices down as much as we possibly can, delivering the better quality product so that we can actually afford to compete in a very, very price sensitive environment. I think we have to get real about that. The entire CEA business needs to get real about it and say, look, the super premium uh, opportunity may not be what it once was. And we're seeing all sorts of trade down happen across the business right now. And just about anything out there, people are in fact trading down. And when so much consumption is uh, at risk, uh, the problem then becomes the unit volume goes down. And when unit volume goes down, a lot of other sort of economics that sit on top of expanding unit growth cause right. problems for the business. Um, 
we are doing our very best to make sure we don't go there because if we focus on margin, we can actually get unit increases in scale in the planning season right now by offering the most price competitive quality uh, in the marketplace. And that's the only way you can confront what is a very, very real problem. And frankly, the stagflation issue, uh, none of us have dealt with this in recent memory. I'm just mm -hmm. old enough to remember it as a child, <laughs> the last time it was a real problem for us. Uh, but it is going to be a problem. Uh, we're seeing it uh, across the board where we have both inflation and recessionary pressures at the same time. And the only good news I see of all of that is it causes innovation. Anytime yeah. there is an economic downturn, the only way you get out of it is not by doing more of the same because you get crunched that way. It's by doing something innovative and different and helping solve the real problems that people have. And that oftentimes means value and price point combined with quality. Yeah, 100% agree with you. 100% agree with you. And it is innovation is the thing that excites me on what's going to happen next. Obviously, very concerned about consumption going down. I mean, when you think about the food waste issue in this country, right? I mean, you, the number one way to, to work on food waste, increase consumption, especially when it comes to fruits and vegetables, right? And it's going to be a challenge. I think it's a big, I think about this a lot and I talk with people about it a lot. You know, it's really, we're at the point now where a lot of brands need to not worry so much about, hey, promoting my brand name, but we need to be promoting the concept of healthy eating that's associated with my brand name and getting that message back to the consumer that, hey, this is an investment, you know, eating more fruits and vegetables, investment in your healthcare, right? Don't go to the doctor. You know, we've gone through this pandemic. What, what is the increasing fruit and vegetables done for you? How has it helped you? You know, those things I think are so important. Those conversations continue to happen. And I appreciate you guys looking at it, being a part of it, and also finding, you know, thinking about what that solution is. I think there's a lot of folks out there. They're like, oh, this economy sucks. And that's the end of the conversation that they're having as a group, as opposed to how are we going to, you know, how are we going to keep people going to eat fruits and vegetables? Because even if they don't buy your category, Right. I look at it, you know, it, we at least they go in and buy an apple. At least they're in there and they could buy your stuff. We've right. got to keep that ball moving down the field. I just think we're getting it could become dangerous for fruits and vegetables if it continues to keep sliding. And the other thing is our business, and we don't have the answer to this yet, has to look at where people are going because we're seeing that long term trend towards eating away from home go back, right to back to where it was uh, years ago because uh, COVID caused people to eat at home. Guess what? That's over. People are back eating out again, eating fast food, eating every, you know food service and everything else. And the produce business needs to do a better job of getting our products in the pathways of where consumers are. And there's a real challenge ahead of us and a real opportunity if the business can figure out how to do that. 100% agree with you. I love it. Thank you. That's a great perspective on, and again, another moment for people to pause and think and go, huh, yeah, you know what? I've been thinking about that, but I haven't thought that hard about it. We probably should do that a little bit more. Absolutely. Switching gears real quick, because you know, you're deep in the space. So you've come from this great background. You've seen some really cool stuff. What excites you today out there in the world of ag tech? You know, above and beyond what you all are doing at, at, at Soli, is there something out there that you've been keeping an eye on that's kind of cool? You know, black flies, kelp growing, things along those lines? I, I, I have a long list of things that fascinate me. So there's a lot of stuff that I, I'm paying attention to right now. I think in general, what it comes down to this is there's an innovative in the energy that is just starting to come into this old sleepy business. And I characterize it. Yeah. This Love is it. a business that is now a sexy business for youngsters. I mean, uh, it is some, it is when I talk to kids who are 20 kids, 25 years old and so on, um, they we'll are say interested. Yeah, we are, I guess I'm allowed to at the gray hair at this point. <laughs> but there's a real passion and an interest for, for, 
and an understanding that agriculture, that food matters, and that innovation needs to take place there. So I'm seeing more and more people come to the table with ideas that are coming to the scientists uh, coming uh, forward with uh, new ideas, ways to do things differently moving forward. And the planet and the health of the planet desperately needs that. So I would say I'm just excited about the energy that I see more than anything else. Yeah, you know, you're right. You make a really great point. Produce has gotten cool again to another generation. It's just a matter of getting that generation. But, you know, it's really important is getting that generation to recognize um, that it is a morals and values category and to recognize that the power that this category has, that it's not, you know, and I, I'm not going to throw them all in the same bucket, but it's not just pick up your phone and click an app, right? It's just yep. not that simple of a business. And I think that that transactional nature has hurt produce a little bit. I think it's hurt produce in the last probably eight years in some degree, maybe 10, you know, getting a little into that transaction as opposed to working, as you talked about so eloquently earlier about relationships and the value of that and talking and getting to know people and recognizing that you're dealing with something that mother nature gave you. And that uh, that's a big honor that we need to, to make sure that we see all the way through. Yeah. And you look at some of the big, uh, you look at energy, you look at transportation, Think about what Tesla has done to the car business and think about what a lot of these new energy companies have, are, are doing to shake up the world of energy right now. Yeah. Solar, et cetera. That kind of energy is coming and has come to agriculture. Yeah. And we're part of it. There are a lot of other companies out there doing really interesting things right now, but we're just at the beginning. And mm -hmm. I see a really exciting you know, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be bumps in the road, but the next 10 years are going to see a real transformation of agriculture. And if we don't, um, as humanity, we're going to have some real issues. We need this. 100% agree with you. I mean, absolutely. I think I think it's going to be a great ride to see where we end up. You know, I've had the same conversation in 10 years. I bet, I bet, we, I, I would bet you a cold beer right now. We have this exact same conversation 10 years. We're both wrong. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure we've gotten some things wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, but, that I love, I but that's but that I love, right? That's the part back to that the innovation. That's a part about what changes we're going to make. What is that guy doing in his garage in Oklahoma today that's going to revolutionize the agriculture world tomorrow? And those are the things that a positive cost of food we need to keep investing in. What you're doing, we need to invest in. What others are doing, we need to invest in. We need to make sure the consumers recognize the steps that you're taking to make this planet a better place. Who knows what it'll be like in five years, right? Who knows what you're going to be like in 10 years? But again, I go back to that positive cost of food. It's such a powerful thing, I think, to be talking about with consumers about how voting with their dollars is so much more important today than ever before. Yep, absolutely. Really great. So what's next for you guys? Anything exciting coming up? Anything? Well, I mean, I know you got some stuff coming up. You got a new facilities coming, this and that, you know, which I get. Uh, yep. But anything else exciting? New facilities, new products. I would say are the number two things that are coming along right now. And then I think what, what what's going to happen across the next year is the story of the company. I began with this and maybe uh, wind with this as well, too, is that the company and what we're doing and why it matters and the mm -hmm. facts and figures of what goes on behind the scenes and the proof about what we're actually doing in things like water and land use and so on, verified by third parties, getting that story out there, talking about who the company is, um, in addition to the products, in addition to the capacity that we're creating, um, there's enough to keep me up at night. Yeah, well, your your hands are full. What are you worried about? You don't need to. You, you I mean look, you are you, you know you want a full time job? What are you doing? Come on, you're gonna exactly. you're gonna be up to eighty hours eighty hours every Tuesday at this point. Yeah, I know exactly. Dude, this has been great. I appreciate you taking the time and hanging out with me today. I knew this was gonna be a great chat. I think people are gonna be blown away 
by some of the things we talked about today. I think you're going to open up a lot of eyes, which I think is really, really cool, which is what I love about this platform, being able to uplift and inspire people a little bit. So thank you for hanging out with me. Todd, I love your platform and I love this conversation. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> Come back, please. I'd love to have you back. Let's do it again. I think people, I mean, you're going to, I can guarantee people are going to say like, I want more of him. I can see it coming. You're going to have groupies after this. <laughs> what, uh, uh, well, I don't know about that, but we'll take it a day at a time. <laughs> I love it. Hey, everybody, thanks for hanging out with us. We really do appreciate you taking the time, uh, being here. What a great conversation with Matt. He I told you, I told you guys were going to like this one. I'm just so thrilled that he gets, took the time and hang out to, with us today. What a great conversation. Like I always say, go inspire somebody. It's terribly important. Just saying hello to somebody is a source of inspiration. You can do that. It's within your power. You can do it right now when you get done with this podcast. Just text somebody hello. Tell them you love them. That's a source of inspiration. We need more of that in this world. Matt, brother, I appreciate you being here very much, and you're invited back anytime. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Thanks, everybody. Take care. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.